0: Hey, Major. This is great to see you again. Great to talk to you. It's been a long time since we've done this. Today we're going to be recording something exciting, uh, very topical, and yet was exciting in the context of being able to talk about it. It's a source of much um, unhappiness for a lot of people for very appropriate reasons. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I, I think we need to discuss this and we need to talk about this as pharmacists. We need to talk about this as people who work in the life sciences industry, and it's important that we discuss what the implications are, and obviously what we're talking about right now is the opioid crisis, mm-hmm. and talk about, about the impact it has on lives. You're listening to the Gavel and Pestle
1: Podcast with Darshan Kulkarni.
2: The
1: Podcast, where the law
0: of the land intersects with the business of pharmacy. Hey, this is Darshan. Just before uh, you listen to the podcast, make sure you remember, this is not legal advice. This is also not medical advice, and um, it's not construction advice, so don't take construction advice from me. Also, this does not create an attorney-client relationship, so don't be saying that I just gave you legal advice again. Talk to a lawyer who knows you, that can give you advice that's right for you. Thanks again. Keep listening. We'll talk soon. Major, have you have you had uh, any experiences around the opioid crisis? Well, that's—I think—that's a topic that
1: not very many people would be comfortable talking about. I'm—I'm I'm sure that many have uh, have been or have been affected by uh, situations where you know dealing with the opioid crisis.
0: Absolutely, and I think that's the point we're trying to raise, right? right. It's like right. most people we know um, are being affected. I mean, I, I um, one of the one of the statistics i read was that the nih says that 90 people, 90 americans die from an opioid overdose daily mm-hmm. and that half of those are prescription opioids that's right. a lot of people I'm,
1: well, and, i mean i'm sure one of the more common situations right where someone is like injured or hurt in an accident maybe something like percocet is prescribed for pain and prescription runs out addiction's in full swing and then suddenly they don't have access to Percocet or the prescription for anything else, that any other op- op- opioid. So they have to fall back to something like
0: heroin. And that's exactly what happens. You start off with a legitimate condition, a condition you need to be treated for. And instead what you land up with is an addiction and how do you fix it? It's funny um, you, you say that there was a recent study that came out that talked about using things like ibuprofen and Tylenol and basically came out and said, you know what? These things work almost as well as the opi- opioids. Do we really need to use them mm-hmm. as much as we use opioids? Um, and and do are there alternatives? So that might be something to consider. It's funny this as as a pharmacist, you hear about the opioid crisis and you hear about people talking about it. But um, what's what's interesting to me, at least, is the fact that. Um, we we talk about alternatives and one of the things we talk about is a drug called tramadol and we're like, you know what? It's one of those things that's not as bad as opioids. It's a, a, it's uh, it's sort of like a better version of Tylenol. No, it's actually addictive in many places and it, it's considered to be a controlled substance and uh, there, there needs to be more education around it. It's funny. I read about this. Um, well, again, funny may not be the right term for this. Interesting. It, um, right. Yeah, but I mean, it's interesting, I guess, is one way to phrase it. Mm-hmm. But this woman was going to, I believe, Egypt, and her husband was in pain there. So he, she took a little bit, of well, not a little bit. She took a lot of tramadol for, the, for her husband. Turns out it's illegal in oh. Egypt, and she went to jail over it. And she's like, it's not illegal where I'm from. I don't know why I'm being jailed. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, it's illegal where you're coming, and that's why you're being jailed. Right. And that, that fundamental lack of understanding around opioids, whether it's patients, whether it's clinicians, is where there needs to be more education. And, and we talk a little bit about what governments are doing. We can talk about the fact that uh, President Trump created a commission on combating uh, drug addiction, uh, and created the Opioid Crisis Commission in March 2017. We can talk about the final, the report that came out in November. We can talk about the fact that, uh, th- according to them, to them, according to the commission, that is, 36% of these pharmacists consider extending prescribing of opioids to be a violation of law or an unacceptable medical practice. But the fact is, it's still happening. The fact is, people are being affected in very personal ways. So. What I really want to talk about in this podcast is what are some steps we're taking? What are some things that are happening? And instead of talking about how big a problem this is, because at this point, I think talking about how big a problem this is, is sort of like talking about um, breast cancer and breast breast cancer awareness. Most people know about breast cancer awareness. Now, what most people are saying is, great, let's start solving the problem. And I think that's what we need to start focusing on. I think that's what we want to do um, in the opioid crisis. We understand there's a problem. You don't need to tell us that. Tell us how we fix this. And I think this will be our first salvo in that mechanism.
1: But at the same time, I think it's still kind of important to go into it just a little bit. Just because, you know, like a problem everyone has heard before or has experienced before, or even if they have personal connections to, when they don't fully take into consideration the problem as a whole, they start overlooking specific details that that are actually really important to the solution, <laughs> and and that, I think, that
0: I'm sorry? I think that's fair. I I agree with you. No, I'm I'm agreeing with you totally. Oh, for sure. Uh, I, um, so maybe maybe we do talk a little bit more about the background. Maybe we talk a little bit more about um why this is a problem. Mm-hmm. And 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 then maybe we start off by talking a little bit about just um w- where does this whole thing come about? So we talk about. Opioids, and maybe we talk a little bit about well, there's something called the Controlled Substances Act. We talk about the DEA and the role that it plays. Right. The Controlled Substances Act is is was passed in the 1970s, and the idea of the Controlled Substances Act was that, um, essentially every time a drug that is considered to be controlled, i.e., it has addictive potential, uh, it gets put into this, um, so we say a closed system. And the idea is that you know at any given time who has how much drug. That way, uh, there, you aren't losing drugs to, uh, to, well, I guess at that point to, it was considered to be more to yeah. uh, illegal options. Um, but now it's, it's also legal options. But mm-hmm. um, the, the idea was, for so example, uh, as pharmacists, we all know this, but uh, to those of you who aren't pharmacist listeners, um, it's interesting to hear and to understand that um, your pharmacist can, at any given time can tell you how many Percocets to the to the pill number is in his or her pharmacy at that moment. They can tell you how many Vicodins there are. Uh, they can tell you uh, how many plain, plain old oxycodones there are. So this is a system to control that. But what it does is it controls the problem of tracking but what it doesn't do is controlling the problem of giving the medication out and that's where the issue of pill mills come in and the issue of the fact that sometimes certain physicians start seeing a bunch of patients who are um who have who need access to these medications and instead of evaluating them for on a case-by-case basis and going you need the drug, you do not need the drug, you need a, you need a treatment for your addiction, um, they start giving everyone access to these very addictive medications. And the DEA and the uh, Department of Justice have both been cracking down on it. Um, and, and that needs to be something that people need to understand, that it's not a problem now where only the users are being um, held responsible, sort of, and when I say held responsible, I mean, they're obviously um, – when you're addicted, what you start doing are things like robbing pharmacies, using, um, using violence to get access to these medications. And there have been situations where people have been shot where doctors have been shot for not prescribing the medications, which makes – which understandably makes them scared.
1: Well, then you had those situations also- where like the town in West Virginia, right, that was flooded <laughs> – with, yes. With with the pain pills, and then that's that's kind of an issue. Uh, that's a community issue, and that's also a huge, a pretty significant symptom of the of the opioid crisis. I would say.
0: Exactly right, and I think that's that's the, that's a very fair problem, and we're going to talk about that for sure because that's a great issue to raise. Um, the the opioid crisis issue is not a single layer issue. It's right. not addicts causing all the problems. It's also doctors who are enabling these addicts. It's the pharmacists who are enabling the doctors. It's the drug manufacturers and drug distributors who are... Well, let's talk about the drug distributors first. Who are sending an inappropriately large amount of drugs, of, of opioids, to places that simply shouldn't have them. Like the West Virginia case we were talking about a second ago. To the the pharmaceutical companies who were going out and saying... You know what? Let's market to doctors. Let's tell them that zero pain control is the goal. To organizations like Jayco, who who, in the goal of saying zero pain control is the goal for patients, enabled this crisis as well. And that's the goal. It's, the, it's to understand that fixing one part of this s- system is not going to fix the crisis. Um, so we can talk a little bit about, for example, what can pharmacists do? And we can talk about this, this concept of red flags and, and the duty of pharmacists um, to, to ensure that they act as um, responsible corporate citizens. And, they act, and and ignoring even the corporate citizen part of it, the, the core duty of a pharmacist is to be that neighborhood healthcare provider. You're the one who sees these patients routinely, possibly more than doctors. And and you're dealing with them every single day. These are your neighbors. These are your friends. And to let them just get the medication they want is not you being a good neighbor. It's you enabling them. So as a pharmacist, as a neighbor, as a friend, it's your job to go out there and, and think about things like, Has this patient received multiple controlled substances prescriptions from different doctors? This is a continuing problem because there there used to not be a way of actually tracking that. Um, Now there's something called the PDMP, which most states have now, a lot of states have. It's a prescription drug monitoring program. And what that does is it tracks all the opioids or or or, uh, certain controlled substances that the patient's taking. And the idea is that the pharmacist has a duty to check that to make sure the patient's getting um only drugs appropriately.
1: You know, Deshaun, um, I, I kinda want to make a yeah. point that you're Go not ahead. just taking this perspective from someone from the outside. You are a pharmacist, so so you have firsthand experience and knowledge in dealing with these situations, right? So
0: like the, absolutely. The PDMP, I, this is this affects you as well. It absolutely does, and it's and it's a duty that each one of us needs to uphold. Not just me as a lawyer talking about, um, oh, this is not a problem. This is something that's removed from me. As you pointed out, I'm a pharmacist. I dispense medication still. And, and as part of that, that problem, I have to be conscious. I remember when I was in pharmacy school and one of the things we had to do was we rotated through an insurance company. And as part of this so, so long ago, um, what I had to do was look at the opioids that patients were taking and and evaluating and i remember this whole conversation of look out for back pain because it's really hard to tell if the patient legitimately legitimately, ugh, legitimately has back pain um and i i think those are issues that we need to there there are prejudices and we can talk about those as well um but there are issues and we as pharmacists need to, to combat them um for example like we were talking about these red flags we we're talking about Multiple doctors sending out medications to the same patient. There, was, there used to be no way of tracking it. Uh, or um, a patient receiving multiple controlled substances for the same symptoms. Mm-hmm. Or the patient coming in receiving early refills. And this this used to bother me. Uh, I remember distinctly, and I, I know most pharmacists have had this type of patient. They come in early for refills, and then sometimes they'll be like, oh, let me get you some chocolates. Let me get you some candy. Let me get you some Wait, the pharmacist soda. would say this? this is the patients they would come in and they would ask uh for the prescription and it would be just an extra two days early and it felt weird and it felt wrong
1: but the the, the patient was, would offer chocolates candy. and candy
0: yeah and, and and the idea was we're just friends, we're trying to be friends, and I think that's a good thing and i I think to a certain extent the idea of Being a good neighbor is good, but when you're dispensing controlled substances, you need to keep an unbiased perspective. And I remember us having that conversation. This was when I I was still a student, Mm -hmm. and I remember talking to my pharmacist and he was like, I'm aware of this and I'm monitoring the situation because I don't want us to be in a bad position.
1: Before we get into that, let's have a word from our sponsors.
2: KeyCentrics has been leading and guiding the pharmacy industry for over 40 years. A forerunner of innovation and technology, Keycentrics more than delivers pharmacy software solutions to the ever-expanding complex network of healthcare. The heart of KeyCentrix is dedicated to restoring patient health and promoting patient compliance by the continuation of care through pharmacy management. KeyCentrix brings pharmacy management to a comprehensive level of understanding and precision unlike anything available in the industry. Keycentrics' new LeafRx Pharmacy Management software revolutionizes this opportunity for specialty pharmacy markets. New Leaf Rx thinks like a pharmacist and a prescriber at the same time, while also providing the data needed for decisions from every other contributor in the healthcare ecosystem. New Leaf Rx will lead to successful outcome-based processes, guaranteed. At the end of the day, key-centric software packages have what every pharmacy has been looking for. New Leaf Rx is the next level of pharmacy management systems. For more information and to experience a demo, visit KeyCentrics.com.
1: So this it's like, thank you for funny. the Hershey kisses and M&Ms. I know what you're doing. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> well, there are these different uh, solutions uh, proposed, right? Uh, what in the, That are in, in place, like, like the PDMP, for example. But, Right, how, Like, what is the pharmacist's responsibility in situations like that? I mean, how much is too much from the perspective of the pharmacist with all the bureaucratic red tape? Like, in you know, does it all just roll downhill and land in the lap of a pharmacist? <laughs> like who, what happens there?
0: And that's exactly the problem, right? So everyone says a little bit like, that's not my problem. The pharmacist goes, well, how do I know whether the patient needs it? I'm I'm not a physician. That's the physician's job. Yeah, physician I mean, says,
1: maybe another way to phrase it is like, yes, we should do everything we can to protect public health. <laughs> Absolutely. But how, how do we know we're leaning on the point of distribution like the pharmacists because potential issues uh, further up the chain are creating it?
0: And I think that's part of the problem. So So... What we're not saying is it's all the pharmacist's fault. It can't be. The pharmacist doesn't have all the information. Um, What we're saying is it's the pharmacist's duty to look further. You aren't going to catch every single mistake. No one's asking you to. What we're asking you to do is look closer, evaluate closer, and spend a little bit of time. You're not an ATM. Your job is not to simply go, here's you asked for medication, here's your medication. And far too many retail pharmacies fall into that where they essentially become just an ATM for medications.
1: But then on the other side of the spectrum, you kind of have a pharmacist potentially being the judge and jury of prescriptions, right? Like Right. What about the scenarios where the pharmacist is, is uh refusing to advance patient care dis- distribution like medications or assistance because of their perceived restrictions?
0: That's a great question and actually the next point I was going to get into and actually very, very timely. So there are some states that were suggesting, you know what we want to do? We want to restrict the amount of opioids patients can get because we think that this will cure the crisis. And there are patients who are in chronic pain sometimes and they are in legitimate chronic pain. And and things like ibuprofen is not going to touch them. Things like Tylenol is not going to touch them. Patients who are in sickle cell crisis, who are going, and, and I've actually dealt with these patients in the hospital, uh, I've, I've just just to be clear, I've worked in hospitals, I've worked in retail pharmacies, I've worked in most pharmacy settings that you can think of outside maybe like radio pharmacy mm-hmm. uh, or nuclear pharmacy. So I can speak to these from those perspectives, but, but for example, sickle cell patients here, typically in a hospital, you, if you give someone two milligrams of Dilaudid, They'd be snowed. They'd be pretty happy. They'd, you know, it'd be fine. I've seen patients get 16, 20 milligrams of dilated every two hours, and they're still in pain. Sickle cell can be really, really bad. And if you start saying, we're going to cut off patients at a certain dose, what happens to these patients? Are we just going to say that you don't fit into this nice, round, clear um, Spectrum that we've created and you just have to suffer, right? That's not fair either Um, So I think governments are struggling so when uh, when one of the states tried to say that we're gonna limit it The patients came back and they said that's not okay We are in pain. So to your point about pharmacists You can't be judge and jury either because there are patients who legitimately need this Mm -hmm. And that's where that conversation comes about you need to talk to the physician and go I know you wrote this prescription, but are you aware that there are three other doctors who wrote these prescriptions. Right. Are you aware that this patient got the prescription early last month? Are you aware that he hasn't seen you the last two times?
1: Yeah, and, and there's a reason that 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 a, that a pharmacist is a position that is not going to be automated at any time in the near future because of those types of situations where those considerations have to be considered.
0: The, where, so it's funny we, you say that. That's going to be... Well, let's go back so, to
1: the solutions that we had. The PDMP is one solution. There were other solutions, right? What about like a safe site for, for needles? Or, uh, it's for funny you mentioned that,
0: yeah. So so you use the term safe site, Major, and that and that's great. Um, one of the things that we should talk about is the concept of a safe site, really, I, um, I tend to backpack and I tend to travel a lot. Mm-hmm. And I saw this, I think this was in Norway, um, maybe two or three years ago. And the idea was that... Patients who were opioid addicts um, are usually injecting themselves, people who are using heroin, using some of these other much harder um, drugs. We're using them in the streets, and they would die because there was no one there to sort of help them. Um, so these countries, what they came out and said is, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give patients a safe space that they can come to. We're not going to judge what medication or what drug you're taking. We just want to have doctors there who can pull you out or who can help or try to help if the situation arose. And and the, the city of Philadelphia just mm-hmm. said that they're going to do it and they're launching that. San Francisco just came out and said they want to do the same thing as well. So we're definitely taking those steps. We're also looking at a situation where Rite Aid um, was fined uh, $800,000, 800 $800-something-odd-thousand-dollars um, for alleged violations of the Controlled Substances Act. Oh, wow. Um and, and the DA is looking at things like um, creating abuse uh, uh opioids uh, so that they're not really – they're not very eager to approve opioids anymore because mm-hmm. they're going we, – we need to make sure that it's not just an opioid but that you're controlling the way the drug is administered. So you can't just take – smash a 320-milligram um, pill of oxycodone or a 160-milligram pill of oxycodone. Um, you are – getting that in a controlled way and that if you s- smash open the pill, the drug itself gets neutralized. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some mm-hmm. of those things Like we said, we've got the, uh, PDMP that's already in place. Um, and then you've got situations like, um, uh, CVS and Walgreens, each of them trying to do their own piece. <clears throat> CVS basically came out with the, uh, with this idea of working with their benefits management system and and implementing new uh, <clears throat> new policies, Walgreens came out with the "It Ends with Us" campaign. Um, and then and and then there are issues around the idea of te- uh, telehealth and um, th- there's this new the Ryan Height Online Pharmacy Consumer Protection Act, right. uh, which is going to require a controlled substance to be dispensed by and a by, valid by- prescription.
1: By telehealth, you mean uh, teleconferencing
0: uh-huh. prescription? I, I should clarify that. Thank you. So telehealth is this new um, new range of services, and I've got clients already talking about it, already using it. And the idea is, does the pharmacist need to be on site to actually give you the medications? Is it better, for example, um, for the pharmacist to, to not be on site? So... Uh, there are certain providers who will uh, have some pharmacists on site, certain pharmacists not on site mm-hmm. uh, for dispensing. And it's, it's, a, it's a new strategy to enable pharmacists to actually start talking to patients. And that's going to be the future, I think. Uh, what is that going to look like? So we can talk about that. We can talk about a lot of these things. But uh, we've sort of already gone well over time. Any burning questions before we, we stop and talk about something different?
1: Major. Well, no, I, I don't have any questions right now. Uh, I think we we've addressed them all. Um, the, the one of the biggest concerns that I had was I, I there was an article recently about a, a proposed a potentially a potential proposed solution uh, regarding uh, Medicare for the new proposal. I saw an article I think two days ago or so, but when I read it, it said that. For it proposed that pharmacists would be able to deny opioid prescriptions. Well, I came back today to look at it, to, <laughs> to, to review for our for our discussion. And the edit said that it incorrectly said the pharmacists would be able to deny opioid prescriptions under the new proposal. In fact, insurers would be the party responsible for denying a, a prescription. So that's pretty... I mean, the end result would be similar in that the prescription would be denied for one reason or another, probably related to the PDMP. But the issue was... Placing a solution direction in the lap of the pharmacists themselves, you know, just another thing, another thing for them to do. Uh, but that's why I was like, let's talk a bit more about the opioid crisis and 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 kind of be more informed about that before we kind of go into those solutions, uh, because I was But I
0: want to add to this, though, Major. The, yeah.
1: The,
0: the key piece you need to remember is that pharmacists can deny opioid prescriptions. We are allowed to say this is not okay. I'm not going to dispense this, pro- this product, which obviously puts a lot of burden on pharmacists because you're standing in front of a patient who's potentially in pain, who potentially could get violent, who potentially could say that I am unhappy and, and express that to you. And this is a person you, you very likely cross in the streets and you have to stand there and say, no, I'm not going to give it to you. Well, so can't they say that, that anyway? Job.
1: With with anything, it's it's just kind of Absolutely. comes down to a point Absolutely. of like, I I I want you to come back to be a customer of this pharmacy. However, this is a safety situation, right? I want you to be a patient of this pharmacy, right? Absolutely. But where does that uh, business line kind of stop, right? Right. And and the personal accountability ethics kind of comes into play.
0: Correct, because pharmacists can be held, and we we don't get into this too much on this podcast, but we probably should talk about it. Pharmacists are expected to be a type of uh, learned intermediary. And the idea is that doctors are expected to know um, and, and sort of – so how should we phrase this? In, in, um, in liability lawsuits, um, there's this idea that a doctor is the quote-unquote learned intermediary. And that means that it's the doctor's decision and it's the doctor's responsibility to decide whether a certain medication is right for the patient. Mm -hmm. However, farm. the the pharmacist has a quote-unquote corresponding responsibility, and since they have this corresponding responsibility, they are also responsible to look into and evaluate if this patient has – is, is, um, is responsible. So uh, the, under the Controlled Substances Act, they actually define it. Uh, corresponding responsibility means that the individual pharmacist has an, has an obligation to ensure the controlled substance he or she is dispensing is for, for a legitimate medical reason and written by a medical professional in the usual course of professional practice. It does not mean that the pharmacist has to stand in the t- shoes of the medical professional prescribing the controlled substance. But rather, uh, pharmacists have an obligation to ensure that their professional, ju- to exercise their professional judgment in scrutinizing the prescriptions the pharmacist receives and dispenses. So that's sort of where the red flags we discussed earlier came from. And that's where the pharmacist has to adhere to this. Because if they don't, they're in violation of the law. There are pharmacists who've gone to jail over this, there are pharmacists who've paid tremendous amounts of fines over this. So it's probably a good idea to look out for this. Not just for your patient, but for your own license. No, oh, I bet. So, Darshan, uh, do you have anything else to add? I, I think we're good for now, but let's yeah. stay tuned for some more of our. Conversations coming up soon.
1: Oh, absolutely. If you have further questions about the opioid crisis and what we've discussed in this podcast, you can reach out to Darshan Kulkarni at the Carney Law Firm on Twitter, at Kulkarni Law Firm. That's K-U-L-K-A-R-N-I Law Firm. Or website, Uh Phone number is 215-948-8183. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
0: Bye. Hey, this is Darshan. Thanks for listening in. I really want to talk to you. Reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at, at FDA lawyers. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Darshan Kukarni. And if you want to find me any other way, well, start with Twitter, but you can always email me as well. Darshan at conformlaw.com. Thanks for listening in. I'm really excited to hear from you.